Ecclesiastes 9, verses 7 through 10. Um, next week, we'll go back to Acts. We'll do one more series in Acts, and then we'll start a Christmas series. Uh, but uh, this morning, Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10, uh, because this morning, uh, we're going to get ready for Thanksgiving by reflecting a little bit on Ecclesiastes. And now some of you may be thinking like, oh no, Ecclesiastes, uh, this is such a down of a book. This is not going to get me right for a time where I'm supposed to be thankful. But if you have that fear, uh, back in 2017, I actually preached a short series on Ecclesiastes that I think the people who were here for that would say was encouraging and life-giving. Uh, not because of my preaching, but because Ecclesiastes is actually encouraging and life-giving. I, I love Ecclesiastes. It is my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, in fact, since my junior year in high school, I've made it a point to read Ecclesiastes through specially in one sitting every year. And I read the Bible through multiple times a year, but I always make time to set aside to read Ecclesiastes straight through on top of whatever else other Bible reading I'm doing by itself. Because for me, it's a big reset. A reset of sadness? No, like a reset of joy. A reset of thanks. A reset of perspective that helps me see the goodness of Jesus and the presence of Jesus in the ordinary everydayness of the life that I am receiving from Jesus. Uh, so let me ask you this morning, uh, how many of you got up and saw your breakfast and thought like, Jesus is so good? Uh, how many of you, when you saw your spouse or your kids or your parents, your siblings, your friends, your church family, any of those groups, how many of you experienced gratitude that you get to live life with them? How many of you, when you went to work this week, thought, you know, man, this is toil, but in this toil, I get to do good for Jesus? How many of you found joy in loving your neighbor and in loving Jesus in your work this week? See, that is the profound joy in Jesus's ordinary everyday gifts of food, family, friends, and work that Ecclesiastes actually helps us to see. And that's the joy that I walk away with for a while after I read it. And it, it hasn't become a permanent part of me yet. So maybe I should start reading Ecclesiastes every month. Um, but I can tell you it has changed me because with each reset, I see just for a little longer and just with a, a little more clarity, the goodness of Jesus in my life and also as your pastor in your life. And that's a change I wanna offer you this morning. And Thanksgiving, where we actually set aside time to be thankful, seems like the perfect time for us to have that reset together. And I hope come away with a clearer vision of Jesus' goodness in our lives and how we can join him in experiencing and expressing that goodness. So we're going to read a short section from near the end of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, 7 to 16. And then from our sermon, I'm going to reflect on a few limits that the preacher wants us to see. And then we'll reflect on where Jesus offers us daily joy within those limits. Okay, so Ecclesiastes 9, 7 to 16, let's read and pray, and then we'll reflect on all this together. Let's hear God's word. Ecclesiastes 9, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. 
Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to where you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all, for man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. Yet I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Thus far the reading of God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, we do not want to be strong. We want to be wise because we know that in being wise, we are strong in you and we are able to live well with you and experience the joys, the daily joys which you are giving us uh, every moment of every day as we uh, sojourn with you together. And so, Father, we pray that you would uh, help us now to see this. And Lord, we know that um, Though we want these things, unless your spirit gives them to us through your word, that we will not have them. And so we ask now that your spirit would bless us with ears to hear your word, minds to understand your word, hearts to believe your word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word, may it all be pleasing now in your son. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in order to hear our passage well, uh, we need to understand kind of three big things about Ecclesiastes very quickly. The first is, Ecclesiastes is a sermon. The speaker of the book is called the preacher, and like any sermon, whether it's this one or Ecclesiastes, the goal is to help deepen your communion with God so that you can enter as fully possible into all the blessings that Jesus brings. And the second thing you need to understand about Ecclesiastes is that God is very much present in this book. Some of you may have heard that Ecclesiastes is something of a a thought experiment of what life would be like if there was no God. Uh, And I don't know how that became a thing. Uh, Because if you just read Ecclesiastes, God is everywhere. Uh, God is giving us things to do. God is responding to the way we live. Uh, He's setting up seasons in our life. He's being worshipped. Uh, In our passage, he is, in this downer of a book, giving approval to enjoying his good gifts, which we'll talk about more in a second. I hope you can tell my downer of a book with the tongue-in-cheek thing. Like, it can't be a downer if God says, go have fun, I improve it. (laughs) And that's important to see. It's important to see that God is in this book because this is a sermon about life with God that wants us to have deeper communion with him, deeper fellowship and relationship with him, and that wants us to have the fullest experience of joy possible in this life today together with Jesus. And so to do that, the preacher then spends a lot of time focusing on our limitations as created beings. And that's the third thing we need to think about in Ecclesiastes and one I want to spend a little time on. We have limits as creatures, and most frequently in this book, he focuses on the fact that we are limited by time, chance, and season. So, as the preacher says in verse 11, we're limited by time 
and chance. The preacher reminds us throughout Ecclesiastes that we do not appoint the day of our birth, and we do not appoint the day of our death. Jesus chooses the time when we enter into life with him in this world, and he chooses the time when we enter into life with him in heaven. And not only that, the life we live is in large measure a product of what the preacher calls chance. Now, by chance, he does not mean the influence of impersonal forces or dumb luck or the mathematical probabilities that are inherent to a physical universe. He's not saying, you know, there's a 3% chance that this statistic is made up. Uh, That's not what he's doing. Uh, He means God doesn't give us all the same kind of life. We're not all born in the same place in the world or in the same position in society. We don't all get the same kinds of opportunities. We don't all have the same struggles. We don't all uh, have the same gifts and graces. We, we get silk, sick and we stay healthy in ways that we can't predict and in ways that are largely outside of our control. And on top of all that, we don't have access to the reasons why Jesus has arranged our lives and the lives of those around us in the ways that he has. So the preacher labels that ignorance about why our life takes the twists and turns that it does, why we have the blessings we do and the struggles we do, as chance. Why him and not me? Why her and not her? In coming into any holiday season, we are undoubtedly reckoning with the fact that a lot of chance has happened to us this year. Uh, Some of it was really good. God's plan for our lives took us into some really exciting places. Some of it was very hard, though. Some of it was maybe confusing. Uh, Some of it may have been clarifying. Maybe we got some understanding about ourselves and the world around us. But the fact remains that much of what happened to us was beyond our control. But not beyond the control of Jesus. In fact, all of it has come from the hand and within the plan of Jesus for all of us. And so to find joy in this kind of life, in that kind of life, affected as it has been by the fall, and which can only be lived within the limits of time and chance, the preacher invites us to give up the illusion of control and instead rest in Jesus' control. So near the beginning of Ecclesiastes, the preacher says that what God has made straight cannot be made crooked. And what God has been has made crooked, cannot be made straight. And I know the control freaks among us are like, but why not? (laughs) That is the way of the world. But for the preacher, that is good news because it lets us rest our limited life in the hands of Jesus who does all things well because only Jesus has the wisdom and the goodness necessary to order the days of every individual person who has lived and will ever live from the beginning of creation until the day of his his return so that not one sheep will be lost and not one hair will fall to the ground apart from his will. Only Jesus has the wisdom to know that the trial you're experiencing is necessary so you can learn patience, which you will then show to a little kid who through your patience will suddenly see the kindness of Jesus in you. See, that limit of time and chance 
is the preacher's way of saying, you just don't know the way that your life, with all of its gifts and challenges, will be fitted by Jesus into the lives of all the people around you. We just cannot see the way that Jesus is weaving the threads of all of our lives together into a tapestry of his grace that looks like Jesus. We just don't know how he will use it in ways uh, to express his goodness of the gospel in the world through us, but we know he does. See, I think time and chance are actually profoundly freeing limitations because they actually allow us to place ourselves into the hands of Jesus and trust him with our present and with our future and with our loved ones present and future. Seeing those limits teaches us to say, we don't have control, but we have Jesus who is in control and who is wise and who is good and does all things well and makes everything beautiful in its time, as Ecclesiastes says. And it also gives us the freedom to say this holiday season, regardless of what's happening, Jesus must be here. Jesus is here. He is at work in all of this for our good. And I also think the, uh, the limitation of season, which is related to the limitations of time and chance, is profoundly freeing. So in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8, the preacher says this, and I'm going to read it. And if you sing, um, it's a Beatles song. I think the Beatles turn into a song in your head. Yeah, right? You guys ought to help me out with classics. Go ahead, but don't sing out loud. Just sing in your head. Uh, the preacher says this, chapter 3, 1 to 8. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Beloved, in our lives, there are seasons. Some are seasons of profound joy. Some are seasons of profound sorrow. There are seasons of transition. There are seasons of decline. There are seasons of increase and bearing fruit. There are seasons that we look forward to, like spring. And there's seasons that we probably dread, like winter. <laughs> uh, but rather than talk about each of these individual seasons, I simply want to point out generally, this is God's good gift to us the fact that we get seasons, because seasons means that not everything happens all at once. And it's profoundly freeing to know that we are not able, nor are we called, to be doing everything at once, to be experiencing everything at once, to be living everything at once. We live in a, in a society um, that wants us to sort of try and do everything and be everywhere. Jesus says, that's not possible, and it's not how I've arranged your life. I've created seasons so that you can experience things in a specific order for your good. Beloved, the temptation for us to look at ourselves as machines is very strong. But Jesus frees us from that illusion. We are not a stamp press 
on God's factory floor, churning out the same thing over and over again. We are vines in his vineyard. We are sheep in his pasture. We are invited by Jesus and given by Jesus times of work and times of rest. And we are invited to tear down and to build up. We are invited to rejoice and to mourn in season. And we are invited into those things and given those things because Jesus knows that like vines and sheep, we need different things at different times if we are to grow and mature and be healthy. And so rather than fight against the seasons we're in or try to control the season that we're in, we are instead invited to rest in Jesus in whatever season he has put us in and to be content and to know that this is okay. Jesus has us in his plan. It's all right. Because each season comes to us from the hand of Jesus for our growth and for our health. Even winter, right? Even in winter, what is happening is hidden growth. Some of you may be in a winter season where the growth that is happening is hidden from view. It's hidden from view maybe to yourself and to other people, but Jesus is working. Some of you may be in a spring season of bringing new growth, some in a summer of blossoming harvest, some in a fall of transition. Wherever you are, it's okay. Jesus is giving it to you for your good so that your life with him will improve and deepen and strengthen. Okay, so within those limits, time, chance, and season, how do we lay down our desire to control time at Jesus' feet? How do we learn to see Jesus in the chance events of our lives? How do we deepen our life with Jesus in whatever season we're in? Uh, because let's be honest, I think we can probably think of some easy ways to deepen our life in sort of exciting, happy, fruit-bearing seasons, but the winter seasons are harder. What carries over between all of them in all times and all chance events and quotes in all seasons? Uh, here's one part of the answer, and I think it's so wonderful because it's very simple. Look for the ways Jesus has given you to love people in whatever chance or time or season you're in. So at the end of our passage is this wonderful story of a small city that a great king has decided that he wants to own. So he surrounds it with his armies, and he puts up ramps, and he gets his soldiers against it. And all the powerful people and all the wealthy people and all the smart people and all the seminary graduates, they don't know what to do. They have no idea what to do. But here comes this poor man off the street who has, in the preacher's view, spent his life pursuing wisdom in this hidden way by himself with his poor friends, which in the Bible means learning how to live well with God with neighbor. That's what wisdom means, learning how to live well with God and neighbor. And because this poor man has dedicated himself to living well with God, he knows some way of turning back this army. And I don't think that's necessarily war. I think it's instead through Jesus's ways of making peace. And though this man is forgotten in his own lifetime, he was used by Jesus to save life and to bring joy to the city and to the soldiers who's going to attack and nobody died. Now, I believe this story is an example of his advice, his Holy Spirit-inspired, God-given advice in verse 10, which I'll read again. Whatever your hand finds to do, 
do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to where you're going. Now, I don't, I don't believe the preacher means there's no heaven or eternal life. First, because Ecclesiastes is in the Bible, as a part of the Bible, it clearly holds that theology. But secondly, for the preacher, work, thought, knowledge, and wisdom are for this life. You don't need wisdom in heaven. You already know how to live with God because you're there and you're perfect. Work, knowledge, thought, and wisdom are for this life. They are ways of loving God and your neighbor here, now, under heaven, not in heaven. They are ways of being generous and kind and bringing joy now to your neighbor. And so what the preacher is saying is, while you do not control time, you do not control the chance events of your life, you do not control the seasons, Jesus gives you always the great opportunity to love people in whatever season you're in, whatever circumstance you face, whatever, wherever you are in life, you are blessed by Jesus with the opportunity to join him in showing love to people like this poor wise man did who used his work, thoughts, knowledge, and wisdom to love his town and love its people and the besieging king and the soldiers and everyone else and make peace, to show them love. And my friends, as you go out this week to work before the holiday and as you go uh, through the work of preparing for the holiday, and then as you return to work after the holiday, I hope you can see that within the limits of time and chance and season, Jesus has provided you with so many opportunities to find joy in loving him by loving the people around you. So just think about the joy, as you gather together, of bringing kindness, mercy, peace, justice, grace, good food, good conversation, forgiveness, hospitality, listening ears to those who are around you. And just realize what a source of joy these everyday, not super extravagant, extreme, limited to season things these are, these everyday opportunities for love are for them. And for you, it is a profound gift. How amazing to know that whatever my circumstance, whatever my age, I have this blessing from God of being able to give people love in Jesus' name. But that isn't the only uh, calling. Uh, the preacher isn't only, I should say, the preacher isn't only calling us to love within limits, he, but also to enjoy within limits. And this is our last point. And here I simply want to reflect on verses 7 through 9. Uh, these verses, I think, should put to death anyone's idea that Ecclesiastes is a downer of a book. Because you don't find these verses really anywhere else in Scripture. So here are these again. Um, and let's, let's read them with a happy voice. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So let's start at the end. The preacher says that our life is passing, our life is limited. That's what vanity means. Vanity doesn't mean meaningless. It means passing. The idea really is uh, when you go outside and you breathe, and you see that breath appear and go away, that's what vanity means. Our life is here and gone. It's 
not meaningless, but in God's timeline, in the history of the, the world, it's but a breath, as James says. So in the passing time which God has given us, which is not forever here together under the sun, though in eternity it is, we have this limited passing time, but within those limits, there is a portion of joy, a portion of life that Jesus gives to all of us. And that portion is close relationships with people that you love, the ability to love the people God has placed in your life. And so the preacher is talking uh, and to enjoy the people that are in your life. And so the preacher is talking to a king, so he's talking about his wife, but contextually it applies to married women, right? Enjoy your husband. It implies to singles. Enjoy your friends. It applies to parents. Enjoy your kids. It applies to kids. Enjoy your parents. Enjoy your teachers. Enjoy your, your classmates and your teammates. Enjoy life with the people God has given around you as a gift to you. That's your portion. Each other. After all, even though you don't know what will happen to you tomorrow or to them tomorrow or to your great-great-grandkids in the future, that's okay. That's Jesus' problem. Remember, he does all things well. He makes all things beautiful in the time, the preacher says. No, right now, within the limits of time, chance, and season, you have the gift, God's gift, in the people who are around you. Enjoy them. Spend time talking with each other. Spend time praying for each other. Spend time worshiping Jesus together. Spend time caring for each other. Enjoy your life together because it's gone like that. So enjoy Jesus's gifts. That is his gift to you, and it's his gift to them. And then related to that is this beautiful word at the very beginning. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. And there are two ideas here. The first is simply enjoying the good gifts of creation. In the Bible and in Ecclesiastes, bread and wine are always symbols of God's goodness in Jesus. He gives us bread so that we can live and have fellowship and wine because he wants us to have something delightful and good. Not just the bare necessities, but the extravagant gifts of creation. And then related to that is this idea of enjoying them together, not just by ourselves, but together, sharing in the goodness of creation with each other, no matter the season we're in. That's Ecclesiastes 10, 19, my life verse, right? Bread is made for laughter, it says. God made food so that we could gather together and have a good time around it. Wine gladdens life to enjoy the beauty of God's creation. Bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. By which the preacher means it is a gift that God has given you to uh, overcome some of the difficulties in life for yourself and for others. You have a hard day? Sometimes it's nice to go out to eat dinner. Did they have a hard day? Sometimes it's nice to treat them to dinner. God gives us money to bless people. Bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. If I ever got a tattoo, that's what I would get tattooed on my arm. Uh, so the point is, whatever the season of life we're in and whatever the passing limits of our, our life are, we have the blessing of getting to share the goodness of God gifts 
together. We get to laugh and enjoy fellowship together in the ordinary everydayness of life where Jesus is present with us every day as the giver of all good things, the shepherd of our souls who's bringing us safely to himself in heaven. Uh, my friends, how much energy do we spend trying to control time, chance, and seasons in our lives? Now, how much trouble do we bring ourselves because of it? Neglected relationships, needless fights, missed opportunities for worship, missed opportunities for love, making mountains out of molehills, all that stuff. And yet all the time, Jesus is here, the preacher says, and he's giving us his good gifts of bread, wine, friends, family, and work. The opportunity to love God and neighbor even when no one but Jesus is, is watching. Now, I really hope that as we are gathered around our Thanksgiving tables this week, we will be able to prayerfully rest ourselves and our loved ones just a little more freely and a little more fully into Jesus' hands. And I hope we'll be able to say, at least in our heads, if, if maybe not with our mouths, maybe that should be awkward, but here I am with these folks and this food. And today... These are Jesus' good gifts to me, and I get to enjoy them with Jesus' blessing. He's already approved of what we are doing. He's already said amen to what we are doing. And then on top of that, I get to show them his love as we're gathered together. I mean, thanks be to God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunities that you have given us every day to find joy with you. I thank you for the joy of family and friends and food. Thank you for the joy of getting to love the people around us. Thank you for giving us the freedom to rest our lives and the lives of our loved ones in your hands as you carefully and wisely and perfectly shepherd us to yourself out of your abundant goodness. Please help us to see and know your presence more fully each day so that we might know the nearness of Christ, the depth of his mercy, the depth of his love, and uh, not only for ourselves, not, not only know that for ourselves, but also to know it for each other. And we ask this in his name. Amen.